0: Hello and welcome to Economy Day Unplugged on Tuesday, the 10th of January 2020. And since, since this is our first podcast of the year, and indeed a new decade, on behalf of the entire Economy team, here's to a happy and hopefully profitable one. Mark Pender is across the pond on the stateside, Brian Jackson joins us from Sydney, and I'm Jeremy Hawkins here in London with a touch of flu, so apologies if the voice gives out halfway through. So is it out with the old and in with the new or will 2020 simply be a case of more of the same? talk of recession in 2019 proved overly pessimistic but many central banks were still forced to cut interest rates and or dig deeper into their non-standard monetary toolkits and that despite increasing concerns about distortions that very low if not negative interest rates were already causing to financial markets. 2020 has kicked off with a serious escalation in Middle East tensions and there's sure to be many shocks are more for investors to contemplate before the new year's out. So what's likely to be the key events and themes over coming months and quarters. Mark, you're up first. U.S. in 2020. What do you think will matter most to financial markets and where might the surprises be?
1: Well, I think what always matters most is the labor market. Um... And as long as job growth remains solid, it, it slowed a little bit last year, but it was still uh, better than. Um, uh, it was still very, very good. Uh, and uh, if wages start to show any kind of traction at all, uh, that would be interesting. I don't know if it would trigger any kind of rate move. I think the Federal Reserve is probably. Stepped aside because we also have an election over here in 2020. So, the whole and that's going to uh, kick off pretty soon. So there will be a lot. And the Fed, Fed one is, um, you know, take cover. I'm sure.
0: So um, you on that. How, how yeah. important do you think the U.S. election is to the financial markets this year? I mean, I know it's always, it's a big political event. Do you think it's a big investor focus as well?
1: No, I think it's it's much more political. I think it's much more superficial. Uh, I think that uh, the economy and uh, the government bureaucracy, the nation as a whole, has a an underlying momentum, and uh, it would take uh, a very serious uh, breakaway from traditional um, uh, policy to even begin to shake up. Um, the the you know the thrust of, of of the U.S. growth U.S. economy certainly there was a lot of that you know with uh, on the fringes at least with the trade uh, issues and this uh, threatened or risked to, uh, changing that perhaps improving that um, but I I think it's much more of a political uh, 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 showboat kind of a thing than it would be. Uh, for the markets, I think that's going to be really clear by with the Fed stepping aside. And uh, do you
0: think do you think Trump and Co. We putting fresh pressure on the Fed to try and come out and cut interest rates again?
1: That's an interesting question. Uh, he's well, they already had. You know, uh, you could look at it that you way. I mean, of it, yeah. You got three of them right in a row, uh, so that might be enough for right now. Certainly, if the economy does uh, go down. Um, That could definitely trigger heat on the Federal Reserve. But if if the general trend of what we're seeing, uh, you know, uh, the the risk right now in the U.S. still is the factory sector. We had uh, factory orders today and and they were soft uh, and core capital goods. Are sagging, which is a sign of a lower business investment. But there's there was very strong business investment in, in the prior years, and, and levels are, are very high. Whether it's consumer spending or actual the levels of business investment are still very high. So, um, I, what would it take? It, it would you know. Is there a risk? Is it possible that inflation will emerge, or is is the the labor market is labor? Um, you know, so constrained right now, as far as uh, at least in the u s, as far as unions, as far as g- getting any kind of uh, uh, cohesive power together. Um, and now we're uh, we're coming up against uh, the possibility now of uh, a limited uh, a supply of of labor, uh, given the strength of of uh, of the labor market. We've seen that before. It hasn't had happened. I think if that happens, I'm not even sure it would be a negative. Uh, but uh, for the outlook, it could be a very strong positive for the financial markets having um, consumers make more money. But um, that, I think if, if I had a pet, uh, uh, something that I was looking for, for 2020, that's what I keep my eyes on to see if, if wages actually do start to show any traction here or, or, or how about in Europe? Uh, Jeremy or in Asia, Brian?
2: Yeah, um, I mean definitely that's something that uh, policymakers right across the region are, are looking for, you know, particularly if you look at Places like Australia and Japan, uh, they've been talking about the need to have uh, wage growth uh, pick up if they're going to be able to, to, to change direction on monetary policy. And, and as, as, you know, as we come into the 2020, there's still not a lot of sign of that happening. So you know, I think generally speaking, the, uh, the outlook is still for, for monetary policy being kept fairly uh, accommodative across this part of the world.
0: On that note then, Brian, since in, your part of, <coughs> excuse me, in your part of the world, I notice that the uh, the People's Bank of China, they've already cut their bank's reserve requirements ratio this year. I mean, should that be seen as good news in a sense they're looking to promote growth or should it be you know, worrying to investors because it perhaps means that the economy could be a major worry in 2020?
2: Well, the, the PBOC uses that tool for a variety of reasons, not necessarily always um, a, a, as a way of managing uh, economic activity, but sometimes just... Purely to try and manage liquidity conditions uh, according to what's going on. You know, I think what that might have been uh, driven, uh, what why it had been driving that was uh, just the fact that we've got uh, Chinese uh, Lunar New Year holidays coming up uh, mm-hmm. relatively early this time of the year. Um, the last couple of years we've we've had um, those holidays fall in, in February. This year it's falling uh, late January. So you know, every time that happens, you do see a, a bit of a move by officials to. Just make sure the liquidity conditions are, are OK. But that said, you know, it, it obviously also might be driven in part by you know thinking that they need to do a little bit more to, to uh, provide a bit of a boost to the
0: economy. But what, that, that's sort of
2: really at the margins.
0: OK, so what's the sort of because I'm getting how important China is in this stuff now. Um, what's the outlook for China in 2020? Are investors getting to the stage they're thinking it's bottoming out and things are picking up or is it still more of a slowdown?
2: Well, the, the trouble is we're really coming into that time of the year where we don't have a lot of visibility about what's going on uh, in China. Um, you know, definitely, uh, if, we, if we look at the numbers coming into the end of 2019, uh, things were pretty subdued across um, most parts of the economy. Uh, if you look at you know, PMI numbers or exports or um, you know, some of the activity numbers. But um, you know, we're getting the, the December numbers uh, you know, last week and then coming up in the next couple of weeks. But after that, we we do have this period where, you know, because of the Lunar New Year holidays, we don't get uh, data uh, for January until we get to March. Uh, What the the Chinese authorities do is they consolidate the January and February numbers together uh, to try and remove the the distortion caused by the timing of Lunar New Year holidays. And so we're not going to get um, any sort of visibility on what's going on uh, at the start of the year until we get to March. And it also has an impact on... um, numbers right across the region uh, even those uh, countries that do report January numbers in February it's going to be impacted to a certain extent by what's happening with the with the lunar new year holidays so Brian, that's it, when, um, it, know, when,
1: it, when exactly is the lunar uh, uh, holidays this year uh,
2: so they're, they're starting uh, late January uh, and that's um, that's going to have an impact on the data because the last two years uh, those numbers were in February so that's going to have all sorts of impacts on on year-on-year growth numbers that, that are calculated, not just for the Chinese numbers, but, you know, numbers right across the region.
1: This is a big calendar effect, but is this uh, a 10-day thing, a two-week thing?
2: Uh, yeah, I mean, they, they uh, have quite an extended holiday period. Um, so you have uh, probably about, you know, five or six days of, of actual holidays, but there's also uh, impacts as, as um, you know, businesses and consumers... Uh, get ready for the holidays and then as they sort of come back to work after the holidays.
0: Okay, talking of visibility, um, I don't know if you can see through the Sydney files at the moment, given what's going on in your part of the world, but you know, do these files have any significant implications for the Australian economy as a whole? And given there was some talk you know, last year about the possibility of quantitative easing at some point if rates had to come down much further, do you think it perhaps that increases the chances of further easing out the RBA? I, th-
2: I think it probably does, um, you know, I don't believe that you're going to see much of an impact at the aggregate level for the economy, though of course there is a lot of uh, devastation and disruption in the affected areas. Um, if anything it may actually provide a boost to economic growth um, because we are going to see a lot of activity in terms of reconstruction and assistance mm-hmm. and also some additional spending probably on preparation and emergency response efforts. Um, so. If, if anything I think the impact will probably probably be on fiscal policy so the national government here has been very committed to tightening fiscal policy and returning the the fiscal balance to a surplus and it's actually come under criticism for this both directly from political opponents but also indirectly to some extent from officials at the reserve bank so when you add this um, when you add to this criticism for fiscal tightness the additional criticism that we've seen in recent weeks about uh, the government's preparation and response to the bushfires, it's not too difficult to predict that there'll be some substantial extra spending delivered in response. And so uh, that actually might help the RBA uh, 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 you know, keep policy on hold if, if they're finding that you know, the fiscal stimulus is coming instead of additional uh, monetary policy stimulus. But either way, I think we will get uh, you know a bit more uh, support to the economy going forward.
0: Okay, and across the waters, a Mark said probably not too much an impact on the U.S. stuff from um, the U.S. election. But New Zealand, I think, have an election coming up later on this year. Is there much uh, attention being paid to that?
2: Not at the moment, no. Um, yeah, you know, I, I think um, you know, just in terms of policy, outlook, again, uh, they're still fairly um, uh, accommodative and and not sort of. Uh, you know, there's no sort of sign of any uh, big shift in policy uh, in New Zealand at the moment.
0: Okay. Um, and I suppose we should also quickly mention uh, that Hong Kong. Um, we left 2019 with, what, the riots still in full force. Um, are, they, are they still running at the moment? And well, really, you know, what do you think the implications of the ongoing disruptions might be for Hong Kong economy, and indeed any wider implications as well for that matter?
2: Yeah, I, again, uh, it does seem um, that know 2020 is is still going to be very uh very challenging conditions for for the the hong kong economy um you know the the latest number that we had was the pmi survey um it actually it picked up a little bit but still showed uh the hong kong economy in very sharp contraction and um again it's going to be impacted by the wounded new year holidays over the next couple of months so it might be a little bit difficult to to get a, a good read on what's going on but you would think that um it's going to be a slow uh recovery there we we will have the um the hong kong uh government delivering their budget uh I th- yeah it's going to be probably mid-february wait february uh so you'll probably see a bit of a, a fiscal package there i think to try and um, you know placate some of the protesters but also you know just try and provide a bit of support to the businesses there
0: OK, excellent. Um, all right. So what about Europe then? Well, I suppose just beginning year, where are shock's going to come, because I don't think there's really too much to get excited about in terms of the economy. Um, I think the general expectation is that growth is probably close to the bottom now. Europe will avoid a recession. You may start to see some modest pickup coming through during the course of 2020. But I think in terms of looking for surprises, I, I kind of go along where Mark was coming from, from his side of the water. And that is, I guess, you know, keeping on wages. Um, for so long now we, when we're do, doing these podcasts to talk about inflation and eurozone just being hopelessly low and it's missing the, the ecb target on a you know really on a year-on-year basis well we have seen a fairly significant acceleration in wages not not to high levels we're currently only running at what about two and three quarters percent or so on an annual basis but nonetheless we are starting to see these wages responding to what by european standards certainly not u.s standards or many other countries standards but by european standards is a tight labour market and so I suppose it could be the case if we see some surprises coming through on the real economy. I mean I think most people are hoping that we'll see some sort of turnaround in well not just eurozone manufacturing but global manufacturing during the course of the year if that were to spur a still tighter labour market and higher wages we could perhaps start to see inflation moving up towards the ECB's current near 2% target rate um, sooner than currently discounted and were that the happen and bear in mind, we do at the moment have a very much split council, uh, governing council under the new president, uh, Christine Lagarde, many who didn't want to see a cut in interest rates and the uh, and the restart of quantitative easing towards the end of last year. You know, it could possibly, at the outside, at least be the case that you know, we start to see the central bank you know, beginning to introduce some kind of tightening process or at least ending quantitative easing uh, by the end of 2020 and in advance of what markets are anticipating. That, at this stage, I think... Is there's still got to be very much an outside call because the economy is still very sluggish and inflation, despite some recent pickup, remains well short of target. But again, as Mark was saying, I think it's an idea certainly to keep an eye on the Eurozone labour market as kind of a potential leading indicator of where the ECB may be going. Um, the other stuff that is coming out from the ECB courses we've, we touched on before is that it is it is going to go green this year. So the European Central Bank will be looking increasingly favourably at companies with a more inv- environmentally friendly footprint during the course of a year. Um, and it's not just going to be monetary policy in Europe either. Uh, the new EU Commission President Ursula von der von Leyen has announced that she wants to launch a green deal to tackle climate change too, involving potential potentially a fair amount of money being thrown at different parts of Eurozone industry. So I think you know one of the changes we will see during the course of 2020 versus 2019 is to some extent the shape of the ECB's um, own portfolio with a, a growing emphasis, and it's still a tiny at the moment, but a growing emphasis on the more sustainably based uh, companies. Um, and indeed also perhaps we'll see more and more of a, a general attitude towards that as far as fiscal policy is concerned. The thing that I think that's currently stand for investment Investors within Europe, um, so-called sort of sustainable investing, um, is now a, a tiny part of uh, most investors' portfolios. So there's plenty of potential there, I think, for that to be expanded over the course of coming months.
1: Jeremy, Jeremy can, yeah. we, can we on that note pass it over to Brian and tell us what the Australian public is saying about uh, sustainability, climate change, right yeah, now? Yeah,
2: good point. Uh, yeah, it's a it's a big debate, but um, it, it probably um, you know it has continue to, to uh, you know fall between different um, you know political views um, and so it hasn't really I don't think been a lot of consensus uh, about it uh, obviously um, for, for people who uh, are very worried about uh, climate change um, you know they attribute uh, these bushfires uh, you know the increasing well whether I mean again that's up for the debate uh, whether they are actually more severe or um, more uh, frequent than, than previously, but for for you know for for part of the community, the, the belief is that uh, you know climate change is worsening the problem. Uh, whereas uh, there are also other people who uh, instead point to um, you know land management practices as as being a factor uh, in that. Um, you know, in the past, we have uh, in Australia always um, tried to. Reduce the impact of bushfires by um, you know, doing controlled burns during the winter. Uh, so some debate about whether uh, that has um, not been done to the extent that it that it should be. So to be honest, it, it's been a it's quite a polarised um, debate uh, here in Australia, and you know it, it sort of really hasn't. Um, I don't think um, yeah uh, developed a, a broad-based consensus yet.
0: Okay, thanks. Um, okay, so round off to a couple of other, I suppose, main issues as far as Europe's concerned. One, I think, is something else to look out for during the course of this year is this uh, potentially shift away from the focus on monetary policy towards fiscal policy to get growth going. I think it's pretty fair to say that um, a lot of central banks now, and it's certainly true of the ECB, are running out of ammunition. Um, interest rates, as we know, are already in negative territory. A number of uh, individual national central bank governments are extremely unhappy about that. Quantitative easings, the mentioned has been restarted a number of central government central um, bank governors don't like that either so there's more and more calls we've seen ever since uh, mario draghi um, announced his resignation or departure that you know there should be greater fiscal stimulus coming out of a variety of governments and that also looks to be the case as far as Lagarde's concerned as well so i think we should start to see fiscal policy being loosened more and more and certainly a lot of eu countries have got room for it notably germany uh, during the course of 2020 so fiscal policy perhaps providing or filling in the hole that monetary policy might be forced to leave open uh, as we go through 2020. The other aspect, of course, which we still can't ignore, even if most of us would like to for Europe, is Brexit. Um, Brexit officially, of course, will be happening. It looks almost a done deal now for the end of January. So just a matter of weeks away. But that's, if you like, is the easy bit. The crucial bit as far as financial markets is concerned is what form and shape Brexit is going to take and that will be determined over the course of the following 11 months during which the UK and the EU will be trying to sort out and thrash out a trade deal. Um, now, most people, I think, are taking a view that 11 months to sort out a trade deal is far too short, and means that at best we'll end up with some kind of very general deal, which is likely to just to cover trading goods. So, the key financial services sector for the UK could be simply left out of it. Were that to be the case, the chances are investors would start to see it as being a hard Brexit, and that's not to be good news for the pound, and it wouldn't be good news for financial markets. Now, it may be the case, given how we had all these swings and roundabouts concerning Brexit for so long now that there will be some sort of extension to this deal. but as it currently stands under UK law, that's been forbidden as a result of um, some of the uh, passage some of the bills which went through Parliament at the back end of last year. So Brexit is still very much going to be a focal point for investors, not just for sterling markets but also for what's happening in European markets in general. Um, What else should I be mentioning, I suppose, as far as just some of the slightly more peripheral countries, keeping an eye on Switzerland, as we talk, the Swiss franc has started off at one of its strongest levels against the euro in the last several years. That safe haven flows due to the Middle East developments we have ongoing at the moment. As we talked about before, the Swiss National Bank won't be at all happy with this. So it raises the possibility of still lower interest rates or some form of additional policy loosening coming out of the SNB over the coming weeks, if not months. Um, we will be getting a new Bank of England governor, I should mention, but I wouldn't pay, pay too much attention to that on the grounds that it's highly unlikely that he'll be doing anything in terms of changing policy. Um, he'll be Andrew Bailey, used to be a former deputy governor with the Bank of England, and indeed he has 30 years experience at the Bank of England, widely seen as a safe pair of hands, probably a dove, but really should leave policy vis-a-vis Mark Carney, the outgoing, outgoing governor, pretty well um, unchanged. Also, she mentioned in terms of changes in central bank governors, uh, Stephen Polos, the Bank of Canada governor, his term ends um, in June as well. Um, His departure will bring in someone new, obviously. And I guess if we look around the world at the moment, uh, Canada at least has some scope for lower interest rates compared to most of the others. In terms of bonds, chaps, what do people think about bond markets? Do we think that yields can go any lower or have they bottomed now?
1: Well they can go lower in the US. I mean uh, it's much higher in the US than um than anywhere else, uh and uh of the major economies. And um uh, uh, you know the bond U.S. bond rates uh, held down were held down all year even though they're higher than others um, despite a 30% rise in government spending and, and plus the year before that uh, uh, something similar so uh, greater treasury issuance which is back to our fiscal policy discussion um, and fiscal stimulus going into, a, into a, an election year it doesn't seem to have affected the demand for U.S. Um, for U.S. treasuries but uh, what do you guys make of the U.S. treasury market.
0: Well, from my side, I think it's it potentially still has further to rally. I think um, if the rest of the world continues to chug along with low inflation, low rates of economic activity, then as you say, you still have, compared to a lot of other countries, relatively attractive yields. And I think that's going to bull in buyers. And if that's the case, then the scope for it to come down lower. But if we were to see, I mean, I guess one of the big issues we haven't actually talked about yet is what's going to happen with the, you know, the US-China trade relationship. Um, if, I mean, <laughs> well Mark and and um, Brian if you've got any feelings as to which way this is going to go and we know it seems like this phase one deal will be settled sooner rather than later but is there much going to happen beyond that because I think as we saw last year global trade had a huge impact on asset prices in general so what comes out of these trade talks over the course of coming months presumably is going to have just a bigger impact on 2020 as well so um, well, is, there a, is there a sense you know, which way they might go
1: well, I mean, my my uh, hunch over here is is with the with the um, for what, what do they call it the the initial uh, signing, which is scheduled, I think, in a couple of weeks. Um, that seems to have uh, cooled down um, the tensions. But where have we uh, c- uh, come along? I mean, uh, the us, we just had trade data today, and year on year in change uh, uh, for imports and exports, even though exports improved uh, uh, noticeably. In the, in the November data, um, that they were flat or they're in contraction. And that is a repeated theme a, a, across uh, the major economies. So global trade has leveled out and it, it seems to be tied directly to, uh, to us actions. Um, will they uh, accelerate this next year? Um, I, my hunch is, uh, probably not. It seems like that energy has been dissipated. May I could be wrong, but, um, what do you think? Well, Brian?
2: I mean, hopefully the, the phase one deal will at least stabilise things and, and hopefully provide some support. Um, but, you know, the, the key risk, I think, going forward is just going to be whether you know, trade becomes a big issue during the US elections and, and whether that really puts a hold on any uh, you know, meaningful progress.
0: OK. Anyone else got anything they feel burning issues we should be adding? I was trying to pull this together. Um, so I think, on the whole, then, what do we got? Well, I guess expectations seem, I guess, cautiously positive for 2020, and the likelihood of at least a global recession has diminished somewhat from certainly compared to where we were this time last year. US, what kind of chugging along with the Fed largely on hold, um, but for a number of countries, current rates of global growth uh, may need a looser fiscal policy as the central banks are running out of loot, uh, running out of room to ease that much further. Global trade is going to be a big issue. Was just mentioned as far as 2020 is concerned and I guess the risk is there that we do see some kind of breakdown and that really would pose serious downside potential for, well, not just equity markets but economic growth um, as I think a lot of current, you know, the hopes for the global economy in 2020 really are based on a rebound in manufacturing. As long as we get China sort of doing okay, the trade deals go through then with Mark talking uh, US interest rates remaining nice and low, then unless we're going to get a strong dollar that ought to be a relatively attractive environment I guess for the emerging markets so uh, there should be some reasonable value in riskier assets as well Um, the risk there I suppose particularly is that if we do see let's say the Fed keeping interest rates where they are and interest rates elsewhere still going lower we see a stronger dollar which would really put a proverbial spanner in the works. Europe really irrespective of what the ECB does um, the still major focus this year is going to be what on the earth happens to the Brexit talks so do keep an eye on them you probably can't take your eye off them anyway but they were very much determining the profile of asset prices pretty well across the board and as we mentioned don't forget europe is going green even if other countries aren't <laughs> okay anyone for anything else in yeah, which case yeah, okay let's send it there then i think there's probably more than enough to chew over and that's not even including all those events that no one's forecast yet So from Mark, Brian and myself, thanks as always for listening. Don't forget to keep up to date with our 24 hour a day economy, global economic calendar. And we'll be back next week. Bye for now.